Welcome back to The Truth Is Somewhere, where we talk about conspiracy theories and other stuff in that vein. Yeah, we're sorry we missed you last week. Yeah. I was, like, deathbed ill. Now I'm a little bit sick, and she's a little bit sick, I'm too. I'm still a little bit sick, but we're doing it! We're doing we're what here. we can. Yeah. We're here to do this thing, so let's do this thing. Yep. So what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about D.B. Cooper. Ooh, D.B. Cooper. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. We've, uh, I think we've brought him up a couple times before, or at least you and I, I know for sure, have talked about him. Uh, yeah, I think we brought him up once in the Yuba County, because mm, we were talking yeah. about Northern California. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, it's November 24th, 1971, uh-huh. and a man calling himself Dan Cooper is in C-18C on a Boeing 727 flight from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. He orders a bourbon and a soda, or bourbon and soda, not two different things. Okay. Bourbon and soda. One bourbon drink. and soda. <laughs> and lights a cigarette because that's what you did back the then. 70s and you could smoke on airplanes, hey, which you know, was nuts, right? That was the thing. And then he reveals a bomb in his briefcase and his intention to hijack the flight. Oh, that's dun, nice. Dun, dun. He demands $200,000 in negotiable American currency, which is about $1.2 in today's dollars. Okay. And four parachutes and a fuel truck in Seattle. So the pilot communicates Cooper's demands to Seattle, and the authorities agree and order the crew to cooperate fully with Cooper. Okay. And due to a miscommunication in the media, Dan Cooper became known as D.B. Cooper, and it stuck. Oh. So it was... It was It's actually Dan, but... Yeah. But he became known as D.B. Cooper because of a huge miscommunication in the media. And it just... That makes sense. It stuck. Leave it to the media to muck it up. And now he's D.B. Cooper, right? Yep. So once in Seattle, D.B. Cooper is given 10,000 unmarked $20 bills, Uh of which the FBI had to microfilm them so that they could track the serial numbers. Oh, of course. That makes sense. Crazy. Uh, Cooper chose civilian parachutes rather than military-issue parachutes. Interestingly enough. He chose them? Yeah. They, like, they brought him either ones, and he was like, no, no, I want the civilian ones. He probably thought the civilian ones would be less likely to be tampered with. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So he's in Seattle. He's landed in Seattle. They have landed in Seattle. From Portland to Seattle. They've landed in Seattle, and they are giving him all the things that he asked for. Okay. And the fuel truck was so they could refuel the aircraft, I would imagine. I'm imagining so. It didn't, like, what I read didn't expound on the fact that he asked for a fuel truck, but he did. Okay. That makes sense, though. Why else would you want one? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what makes sense. Um, he then allowed all the passengers and most of the crew to disembark. Oh, that's nice of him. But he kept the pilot, co-pilot, a flight engineer, and one flight attendant on board. Okay. So all of your necessary people. Yeah. Except I don't know why he kept the flight attendant. Because who else is going to bring know. him his bourbon, uh, and, bourbon soda. and soda? That's right. true. That's true. The pilots aren't. And the flight engineer probably is not. No, no. they got to watch the engines. So he explains... His plans to the crew. And the flight attendant, Tina Mucklow, describes him as, quote, rather nice and, quote, thoughtful and calm. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Cooper requests that the pilots fly southeast towards Mexico City as slow and low as they can without stalling. Okay. And then he asks them to fly at a maximum of 10,000 feet. Which is interesting because passenger planes normally fly at 36,000 feet. So yeah. that's a significant drop. So low and slow would make them hard to track. Okay. Um, yeah, because you got to think if a radar is picking them up, uh, the closer they are to land, the more likely that signal is to get mucked up. Okay. And then also, uh, the higher up a plane is, the easier it is to see from further away. So if it's down low, you don't see that plane until it's there. Okay, that's fair. 
So he's smart. He knows what he's talking about then. Yeah. So he knows what he's asking for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he requests that they leave the landing gear down uh-huh. and to keep the wing flaps at 15 degrees. He also requests that the cabin remain unpressurized. And then he has some debate with the crew, uh, and he ultimately agrees to have the plane flown to Reno, Nevada, because the plane simply couldn't make it to Mexico flying, uh, flying under the conditions he demanded. Like, sure. it, there just no, is no way it could make uh-huh. it that far. Uh, Cooper also demanded that the rear door be left open and the steps lowered, but the airline told him that it was too dangerous for the plane to take off like that. Uh-huh. He Which argued a little more, but he ended up agreeing to take off the uh, take off with the steps raised and the door closed, and that he would lower and open them himself once sure. the plane was in the air. Makes sense. It's probably one of those things where he thought that there was a good chance that he would not uh, he might be attacked while he was lowering those. Fair. Okay. Um, so they negotiate and plan for two hours. Did by chance say what kind of aircraft it was? It was a Boeing Boeing seven twenty seven. Okay. Okay. I don't even think those are in commission anymore. Probably not. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, they negotiated for two hours. Okay. And then they take off. Sure. And two fighter jets follow the plane, one above and one below, so that Cooper couldn't see them. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cooper told Tina Mucklow to join the other members of the crew in the cockpit and to remain there with the door closed. Uh Uh-huh. So at 8 p.m., which is roughly 20 minutes into the flight, an indicator light on the control panel let the crew know that Cooper had lowered the rear steps. Uh Uh-huh. And a few moments later, the air pressure inside the cabin changes, indicating that the rear door has been opened. Sure. And then at 8.13 p.m., the pilots must correct for a wobble that started in the back of the plane. So they can reasonably assume that he's jumped. Sure, sure. Because there was a wobble, and they had to correct for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Any sort of weight difference on a plane can change what a pilot has to do. It's pretty sensitive. So So they assumed. But Mm -hmm. again, they're all locked in the cockpit, so they're not sure. Yeah. Two hours later, the plane finally lands in Reno, and the crew disembarks, surrounded by state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and the FBI. And, of course, there's no sign of Cooper. So what about these planes, the the fighter jets that were following him? I'm assuming that they were watching for him to jump so that they could kind of triangulate where he would be. But did they? I don't know. Okay, yeah. Bad researcher. Yeah. I know. It's my, my normal hat, my bad researcher hat. Uh... To be fair, everything I read said, like, were talked about the planes, but didn't say what they ended up actually doing once he jumped. Okay, sure. So, um, maybe they just didn't see it. Maybe not, because it was dark and it was raining. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, an epic manhunt follows. Of course. Police search door to door, um, and the FBI conducts a replica flight, even pushing a sled out of the plane to simulate Cooper's jump. They conducted a widespread aerial search and a search of the ground around Lake Merwin, Washington, where Cooper was thought to jump over, and no trace of him was found. Okay, so... Huh. So he jumped over somewhere in Oregon, for sure, right? Going down to Reno. No, Washington. Washington. Lake Merwin, Washington. That's interesting. Why do so many people think... think it was in Oregon? Well, so... I think it was pretty close to the border, because they later found things near the Columbia River, which okay. separates... Yeah, yeah. Oregon and Washington... So he didn't make it very far no. before he jumped. No. No. Yeah. It was only like 20 minutes after the plane took yeah. off that he pretty much jumped. That wasn't jumped. far at all. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's really interesting. I really always assumed that it was more middle Oregon. Okay. Cool. Nope. There you have it. Uh, in 1980, an eight-year-old boy found three packets of ransom cash on the bank of the Columbia River. Okay. Two packets of 100 bills and a third of 90 bills were all confirmed to be part of Cooper's ransom payment. 
Sure. And no other ra- ransom cash has ever been found. Weird. So he's... It's never just, like, shown up? No. Maybe maybe it has. They just haven't known maybe. that that was it. The serial numbers remain online for public search, which I found very interesting. So you can just go look up, like, D.B. Cooper's serial numbers and yeah. see if, like, you have some old school money. That would be cool. That matches D.B. Cooper's uh, ransom money. Yeah, I wonder if most of that's come out of circulation by now, though. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is, like, if it has come out of circulation by now, you'd think that the FBI would have found it. Like, oh, here's all this money that we pulled out of circulation, unless it's, like, in somebody's mattress and their house burned down, right? Yeah, yeah, and I also wonder if, uh, if every dollar is scanned. Like, when it comes back? When it comes back. I don't know, I just feel like if they're looking for it. Yeah, but what if he, they, he went to, Me- or he went, to, not to Mexico, but he went to, uh, New York. Sure. Went to the other side of the country. No one's looking for him there. Sure. Um, so the case had been active up until, uh, 2016. Oh, wow. When the FBI finally just closed it. Huh. Um, however, in August of 2017, they did agree to look into, quote, an odd piece of buried foam, which people believed to be part of Cooper's parachute, which was found deep in the mountains of the Pacific Northwest. There were not yet any articles to confirm whether or not this was indeed Cooper's chute or just a random piece of a chute found in the Pacific Northwest. Nothing confirmed that. Okay. Just know that somebody found it and the FBI agreed to look into it. Okay, in 2017. August of 2017. Okay. So about a year ago. Sure. So now we're going to move on to the theories. Uh-huh. Uh, the most obvious theory in regards to D.B. Cooper is that he died in the fall. Sure. He's not a... I mean, I don't know, but he probably isn't a trained... That's where we're getting to. Okay. That's where we're getting to. So the FBI originally assumed that Cooper was an experienced jumper. Uh-huh. Um, however, after closely considering the conditions of that November night, dark, rainy, and him wearing loafers, the FBI decided that an experienced jumper would never have gone for it. Also, of the four parachutes he was given, he chose the two inferior chutes, and one of the ones he chose was actually a dummy reserve that was sewn shut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and an experienced skydiver would have checked for these things and not taken the dummy reserve. Sure, sure. Um, and if he did make it to the ground alive, despite probably being a novice jumper, it was winter in a forest and he wasn't dressed for it. No, so there is, sounds like there's a good chance that he could have died. Right, but it's important to remember that neither him or his parachute have ever been found, at least not a confirmed parachute. That makes sense. Um. Hold on. An elderly man in Minnesota named Lyle Christensen contacted filmmaker Nora Efron of Sleepless in Seattle, claiming to have found the answer to the D.B. Cooper mystery and wanting her to t- uh, make a film about it. Okay. At the th- at the at the time. At the time. At yeah, the yeah. time, contact with Efron was done through a private detective agency called Sherlock Investigations. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The agency's owner, Skip. Porteous became curious about the letters Christensen sent, and he began communicating with him via email. Christensen often would email Porteous late at night, claiming that he didn't want his wife to discover his secret relationship with D.B. Cooper. Cooper, Christensen claimed, was his brother Kenneth. Okay. Kenneth Christian had been a paratrooper just after World War II. When he left the military, he worked for Northwest Orient Airlines, which is the airline that D.B. Cooper, uh happened to hijack the plane from hijack what you know the best right right and kenneth apparently loved bourbon the chosen drink of cooper on that fated flight Uh and he bought a modest house in bonnie lake washington about a year after the hijacking all right so that money just didn't come up though or how did he buy a house um 
Well, that's kind of, like, what his brother was getting at. Like, he couldn't have afforded to just buy this piece of property in this uh-huh. house. Okay, but he did. If it hadn't been did. for the ransom money. But he uh-huh. did. He, like, he afforded it. So, Authory... Author... Authory... Author Jeffrey Gray uh-huh. <laughs> latched onto this story and ended up writing both articles and a book about it. Oh. He showed Kenneth's photo to a woman who had been a flight attendant on Cooper's flight. Uh-huh. She did not... She did acknowledge that Kenneth and Cooper had a resemblance but with reservations. Okay, okay. When Kenneth was on his deathbed, he pulled Lyle in close and told him, quote, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you, end quote. Uh-huh. It's important to note that the FBI truly thinks that Cooper had no skydiving experience, so he probably wasn't a paratrooper. Right. Also, Kenneth was balding and D.B. Cooper had a full head of hair, but he could have worn a toupee. I mean, he could have worn a toupee and then, um, how long he had he been balding and... Yeah, there was a lot of things, but basically the FBI don't didn't really think that it was Kenneth Christensen. Yeah. So, but that, that is a theory. Okay. Um, and it's important. Oh, I already said that. (laughs) In 2011, a woman named Marla Cooper made the claim that her late uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper was actually DB Cooper. Her mother, who was Lynn's sister, agreed with that theory. Lynn showed up to the family's Thanksgiving gathering in 1971 in sisters, Oregon, looking very beat up. Okay. He claimed to have been in a car accident. And his sister claimed that he was a logger and an outdoorsman and absolutely tough enough to jump out of a plane and handle the elements in the forest that November night. That makes sense. DNA tests compared to the tie believed to be the tie Cooper left in the plane did not supply a match. Uh, They were inconclusive. When was this DNA match done? The 70s? In 2011. Oh, 2011. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, it definitely could be, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like some some reason that it may not be work it may not work the dna i mean sometimes it doesn't sometimes matches are inconclusive and there's also like so they believe that that this this tie was db cooper's but they're not positive and Ah, so there you go yeah there's all this there's a lot of cloudy there's a lot of gray area with with db cooper um authors pat and ron foreman claim that their friend Barbara Dayton confessed to being D.B. Cooper. This is probably my favorite. Barbara? Yes. Just wait, so though. Woman. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Wait. Okay. This is my, this is my favorite okay. story okay. because it's, like, it's so wild. Okay. Tell me about Barbara. Barbara was a World War II veteran who had been born Robert Dayton. Oh. And received the first sex change operation in the state of Washington in 1969. Okay. What a year to do it. Yeah, right? (laughs) She told the foreman snippets of her crazy story over a lifelong friendship that began in 1977. The foreman say that Barbara reverted to her male persona in order to disguise herself as D.B. Cooper. Mm -hmm. Barbara Dayton was a highly skilled pilot, but had failed to obtain a commercial pilot's license, and she claimed that she planned the hijacking to get back at the airline industry and the FAA for creating insurmountable rules that meant she was unable to become a commercial pilot. Uh, uh, and she claimed to have hidden the ransom near her landing point in Woodburn, Oregon. Okay. And she recanted the whole story later, assumably because she found out she could still be charged with the hijacking. The FBI never commented commented on her publicly, and she died in 2002. Okay. So. I mean, that's not as crazy as you made it sound. Well, I think it's nuts. I mean, it's a little nuts. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be a good, it'd be a good way to... Go in and everyone thinks you're a man mm-hmm. and then completely cover your tracks on the end. Because you're actually a woman. Because you're actually a woman and no one would be looking for a woman. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, yeah, it's a little bit crazy, but it, 
it's plausible. No, it's plausible. I didn't mean crazy in the, like, this is impossible. Yeah. Just because it's, like, what a story. Yeah. Crazy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's definitely not as many uh, twists as I thought there was going to be in no. it. But it's still my favorite because I yeah. just, like, I think that that's such a great story. Part of me hopes it's true because I think it's so fantastic. I mean, that is pretty crazy. Nobody, I would have never, I no, never would have guessed that. No, I never would have guessed, no. Yeah, I, I would have been, I would have thought more likely that uh, D.B. Cooper would have died in the woods somewhere and with yeah. all that money before I thought uh, that D.B. Cooper was a, a woman. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, good on you, Barbara Dayton, for fighting the good fight and starting it here in Washington in yeah, 1969. Or lying. Well, yeah, that's also that. Uh-huh. And then faking that you were a man again so that you could hijack a plane. Yeah. Good on you, Barbara Dayton. Yeah. <laughs> or just making it all up so that you could have some sort of claim to fame. Yeah, well, she recanted, so. Oh, yeah, of And course. then she died, so we'll never know. Whoopsie. The world may never know. Yeah, maybe the FBI killed her because. Oh, Maybe. Illuminati confirmed. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Since 2011, TV producer Thomas Colbert has been trying to convince the FBI that a group of retired law enforcement and military officers figured out who Cooper is. Uh, they claim that he is Robert Rackstra. Okay. And so I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Robert Rackstra, and that's because this was recently in the news. How recently? Like last two weeks it would have been very timely to release this last week which is why i was like i already started a different research but we're gonna do db cooper and then i got really really sick yeah that's okay all right thanks for giving it to me you're welcome that's what marriage is yeah so uh rackstar was in the army and quickly climbed ranks during his seven years of service as a helicopter pilot okay he attended army aviation paratrooper and explosive schools sounds like something you might need during vietnam he received Two Distinguished Flying Crosses, which is military aviation's highest medal. Okay. A Silver Star and 37 Air Medals. 37 Air Medals. That is seven a years. lot of That's Air Medals. A lot. Yeah, right? Five months before the hijacking, Rackstra was kicked out of the Army for falsifying college attendance documents, lying about how many medals he had, and lying about his rank. Oh, so none of it was real. Anyway. No, all, everything I just told you was real. But he inflated it even more than that. Why do you need to embellish beyond 37? I don't know, right? That's a lot of time flying in combat. Yeah. Well, and then he lied about his college career like he yeah. never went to college so the, like the only way he was a pilot was because he went in as an officer because he had gone to college yeah, right sure. that's a so good reason like, to get kicked out so he should never have probably been a pilot to begin with although he was a really great pilot so that's there's yeah. the argument about like not letting enlisted people be pilots <laughs> anyway I think they did in world war ii maybe they did well this is vietnam not world war ii i know that um anyway uh those who served with rack straw uh, described him as audacious and a rule breaker. That makes sense. Uh, someone that lies about, you know, yeah, lies their way into the military. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely a rule breaker. Army Lieutenant Colonel Ken Overtoof even claimed that, uh, quote, of the potential suspects identified by the FBI, Rackstraw fits the mold the best. Oh. End hmm. quote. Except for he picked shitty parachutes. Maybe he was trying to, like, Throw, throw people off. Throw, throw them off, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And then in the 1970s, Rackstraw committed multiple crimes that put him on the FBI's map, most notably using fake identities. Oh. Yeah. And he admitted to the FBI that he had been in the Northwest at the time of the hijacking. 
and in an interview, he claimed to identify with D.B. Cooper. When asked if he thought that he made a legitimate suspect in the case, he answered, quote, Oh, yes, if I was an investigator, definitely so. I wouldn't discount myself or a person like myself, unquote. Oh, okay, well, that seems, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty out there. That's pretty, yeah. uh, pretty ballsy. Right? To be like, maybe I did it. It, get ba- it gets You'll ballsier. You'll never know. It oh, gets yeah? even ballsier. Yeah? Yep. Uh, in a media phone call in February of this year, 2018, a courthouse news reporter pushed him to confirm or deny that he was D.B. Cooper, uh-huh. and Rackstraw res- responded, quote, There's no denial whatsoever, my dear, end quote. Oh, I mean, yeah, but what's he got to lose at this point? It's so long, it's outside of the, uh... I don't think it is outside the statute of limitations, though. That's the thing. How could it not be? I don't... I don't know, but I don't think it is. I oh. think that's why, like, the FBI still is willing maybe to look not into for, things. Maybe not for, like, hijacking a plane. Yeah, Definitely that's... bank robbing. Hijacking And, like, stealing plane. money. Yeah. Yeah, that money's his now. Yeah. The only thing they can get him for is tax evasion. That's true. Yeah. They could get him for tax evasion. But I think maybe hijacking a plane might have a very well, large sure. I'm, I'm talking about as far as the money goes, they can get him for tax evasion. But realis- realistically, um, I just don't... I don't see how, I just don't see, I, I think that, I think that if the, that if the FBI, you know, if I were this guy and I were a big liar like he was, and they came up, someone came up and asked if I was D.B. Cooper, I'd be like, yes, absolutely mm-hmm. I am. Okay. You should pull up the pictures that are in the, the folder for. Okay. Let's take a look. This week. Um, and the reason that I'm having you do that is because photos of Rackstraw from that time period uh-huh. also have nine points of match with the sketches of Cooper. Nine points? Okay, yeah. I don't I don't know how those... Uh, I don't know how they work either, but I know that there was nine points. That makes sense. Okay. So it probably has to do with, like, I don't know, number of contours in the face and where the contours are exactly. Sure. But aside from that, I have no idea. Uh, maybe it has to do with the shape of things? Maybe. The sketch that is considered most reliable was created with the help of a college sophomore that. that sat directly across from D.B. Cooper on the flight and knew nothing of the plot until he had been safely removed from the plane. That student, who is now in his 60s, had been shown hundreds of pictures by the FBI in the early 1970s, but he had rejected them all. Uh-huh. When Colbert approached him with a lineup of six pictures, the former passenger pi- pointed to uh, Rackstraw's photo right away. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I could see it. I mean, obviously, this is just a sketch. Uh, the sketch is... I mean, when, when is this picture from? Like, because this is a picture of a young man. And this is a picture of an old yeah, man. Yeah, that's part of something that they talk about, was that, like, Rockstar was too young. Yeah. Because this guy, if this was how old he was when he did it, this, this guy doesn't look any older than 30 at best. Mm-hmm. The guy in the picture here is pushing 45. Yeah. They talk about that, but then, like, somebody said something about maybe possibly wearing makeup to make yourself look older. Yeah. That's definitely... I mean, how... It seems like this was pretty well thought out, but at the same time, this could have been something that wasn't that well thought out at the same time. It could have been, but I feel like it probably wasn't. That's just my feeling. Okay. So anyway, the FBI hasn't taken Colbert very seriously over the last couple of years. In fact, in 2016, when Colbert was prepared to turn over the more than 100 pieces of evidence his team had assembled, the FBI closed the case in Seattle and all the files were sent to the archives in Washington, D.C. Okay. Also, just as a quick note, 
That piece of foam that was found that is believed to be Cooper's parachute? Uh-huh. Yeah. Colbert's team is the one who found it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and turned it over to the FBI. How how coincidental. Well, I mean, they're working on it. Sure. So it makes sense, like, if they're, like, spending all their time doing this. Okay. Um, Colbert claims that the FBI is embarrassed because a team of volunteer investigators cracked the decades-old mystery. That makes sense. I mean, decades old, first off. Yeah. And they're looking in places that the FBI probably hasn't. Right. They've been looking for... I mean, the FBI's been looking, but how seriously have they been looking? Right? Yeah. Some, sometimes enthusiasts are going to do more than uh, people who are doing a job because they're just doing a job. I mean, absolutely, as an FBI agent, I would probably be on that mission and be like, this is so cool. But at the same time, you got to think you've probably been doing it for a year, and you're like, there's nothing here to find. Mm-hmm. This is stupid. Why are we doing this? This is from the 70s. What's the right. point? Where there, you got enthusiasts, like people looking for Bigfoot, that go out and they're like, we are going to find Bigfoot because we love the idea of it and we are going to do it. We're going to find him. Same thing, same idea. Yeah. You get people that are like, we're going to find D.B. Cooper's wealth. We're going to put all the facts together and we're going to be the ones that find it. I think that there's a level of enthusiasm that the FBI probably didn't have any longer. That's fair. But there's a conspiracy theory here. Of course. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on the show, would it? Yeah. So, are you ready? Uh, no. I am now, though. Okay. All right. Colbert believes that Rackstraw was removed from the list of potential suspects by the FBI in 1979 because he was actually working for the CIA. Oh, dum dum dum! Yeah. Yeah. So they think that um, Rackstraw actually worked for the CIA as a pilot for helicopters in the CIA. Okay, so why would that... They were like, we don't want them to know that the CIA... Yeah, because he's a, a spook. Agent. They don't want them to know... Like, they don't, they don't want the world to know that a spook just hijacked this plane and stole all this money. Okay. Okay. Colbert brought a Vietnam War-era codebreaker onto his team. His name is Rick Sherwood. Rick Sherwood. And earlier this year... He discovered a code in a letter allegedly sent by D.B. Cooper to the New York Times, the Los uh-huh. Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and the Seattle Times in Decem- on December 11th, 1971. Okay. Uh, various newspapers received lots of letters in the years after the hijacking. Most of them were determined to be hoaxes. Sure. However, the FBI found this December letter credible because it revealed details about the hijacking that had not been released to the public. Okay. So it was probably written by the person who did it or that somebody involved. Uh, the letter had a string of random numbers on it that the FBI was never able to make sense of, and Sherwood claims that they didn't know what to look for, but he did. He claims to have approached the numbers with the idea that Rackstraw was the main suspect. Uh-huh. He assumed that Rackstraw had the same army basic cryptology training that he himself had. Okay. And what Sherwood discovered was Rackstraw's Vietnam military units, the 371st Radio Research Unit, okay. the 11th General Support Company, and the Army Security Agency, which was the same outfit Sherwood served in. So that that's what those numbers are supposed to be. Yeah, that's what those with. numbers correlated. So where's to. where's Rackshaw now? Um, I can't remember where it said he was living. Okay, but he's he's, he's still alive, he's still and he wants everybody to leave him the fuck alone. He's like, I didn't do it. It's not me. Leave me alone. Yeah. So there's that. Uh-huh. Um. Sherwood admits that he may be seeing what he wants to see, which was really yeah. refreshing to see somebody admit, like, I might just be seeing what I wanted to see because I think it's this guy. Yeah, yeah. But here's what I found, and I'm a code breaker. That's uh-huh. what I do. Yeah. So that's cool. 
Um, and he said, like, the odds that the digits would add up to what he found are astronomical. He's like, even if I was trying to find this, the odds that this is what I actually find is just ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it is good. It is good that he thinks that. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, this is one of those things that I wish that I don't want to be unveiled. Because it's such a good mystery. It is. it is one of those, like, I would be thrilled if we found Bigfoot. But, like, D.B. Cooper, I'm kind of like, I don't want anybody to ever know who D.B. Cooper actually was. Maybe maybe when I die. Maybe. Maybe when I die, like, I'm on my deathbed and someone's like, hey, they figured out who D.B. Cooper was. It was this guy. And I'm like, all right. I can die I can now. I now. Yeah. Uh, Colbert recently recently received another letter via the Freedom of Information Act. Uh-huh. This letter was sent in March of 1972 from Jacksonville, Florida, to the Oregonian. Uh, and the Oregonian turned it over to the FBI. Uh-huh. The letter writer claims to be in the Bahamas and that everyone could stop looking for him and writing about him because, quote, D.B. Cooper is not real. Oh. End quote. He claims in the letter that he had to do something with the experience that Uncle Sam taught him, so he hijacked the plane for money. He expressed frustration with the idea that the government could track him and he wanted away from it. And Sherwood claims that the code is hidden within this letter as well, determined by the repeated keywords and phrases in the letter. Okay. And Sherwood claims that the code was essentially converting letters to numbers and then back to letters. Okay. And he says the code in this letter spells out... First Lieutenant Robert Rackstraw. <laughs> again, though, when it comes to breaking codes, yeah. are you seeing what you want to see? Right, but again, with the astronomical possibilities of you see what you want to see and it actually comes out to that? Well, yeah. Anyway, there are now a total of five D.B. Cooper letters that have contained code that Sherwood has been able to crack, and uh, all of them point to Robert Rackstraw. Yeah. Five five letters. This guy. It's this gotta guy. be. It's Robert Rackstraw. And then there's, like... There are other theories that I don't want to get into too much because I was reading them and I was just like, oh, God, this is so much. Give me a, give me a footnote, just one. So a footnote is that he he had accomplices and there were, like, three other smaller planes standing by. So he, like, he met somebody with a truck who took him to a small plane and, like, a tiny little airfield who took him to another airfield with a tiny little plane who took him to another airfield oh. with a tiny little plane. And I was like, this is... This is too much. Oh. <laughs> like, it's just, I'm like, this so is he ridiculous. So he jumped through a bunch of different planes, or, like, he, no one knew which plane he got on? Like, no one knew, no, he went through three different planes. Oh, okay. Like, somebody met him wherever it was that he landed, took him to a plane, he got on that plane, they went to another airfield, he okay. got off that plane, got on another plane, they flew to a different airfield, and he got off that plane and got on another plane. Okay. It just was, it was so ridiculous and so involved. Yeah. And I was so too much more interested in the newer developments about Robert Rackstraw that I was, like, not going to dive into that one. Yeah, because I, I feel like that's on. just... Yeah. Like, it's worth touching on that people think that they No, no, I mean, Robert like, Rackstraw. I think Robert yeah. Rackstraw is good to touch on. I think that one's better that we should talk on. Yeah. But I do like to hear the crazier bits sometimes. Yeah. Just because it's like, come on, people. Yeah. Like, I just was... I was very, so very interested in this newer stuff yeah. that had just developed and the, the code breaking. Because it's very fascinating. I don't know that I entirely buy it. Sure. I do like the guy, the fact that the guy is like, I have a bias and I might be just seeing what I want to see. Because yeah. that's something that you say almost every episode. Like, yeah. it's just people finding what they want to find. Yeah, absolutely. You'll, so the you'll... fact that he can acknowledge that absolutely. kind of makes me wonder if maybe he didn't just find what he wanted to find. Who was, what was the name of this guy? He His last name is Sherwood. Let me go Sherwood. back in my notes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference Sherwood later. No, no worry. I'm just going to say everyone should take a note from Sherwood mm-hmm. and know that, you know, maybe you're just seeing what you want to see. Rick. Rick Sherwood. Rick Sherwood. 
That's a, that's a strong name. Yeah. If you're interested in learning more about what Rick Sherwood and Colbert and the massive amounts of research that their team is doing, you can find a lot more information on his website, dbcooper.com. Excellent. That's, and uh, you in, have that at the end of your, your notes? Yeah. Yeah. And in his book, The Last Master Outlaw. Cool. Because I found him very fascinating. I links. think it's cool that there... There will be links. Yeah, there will be links. There will be links in there. Um, that's about it, though, that I have on D.B. Cooper. Man, Rick Sherwood. He's my Cracking hero. the codes, right? He's my hero. Pretty cool. Pretty Cracking cool. the codes and acknowledging... And acknowledging that maybe he didn't crack the code. That he, he is human. Yeah, and he and he he is working on the premise that this is Robert Rackstraw. Yeah. So he could be finding what he wants to find. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So anyway, you can you can find us though, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TTIS Podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of ways you can support the content. Uh, there's a couple of ways you can support us. <laughs> there's a couple of ways you can support the podcast, and you can do that by if you like what we're doing, you can go leave a positive review, uh, iTunes, Stitcher those other places yep um or you can head on over to our patreon and you can support us uh at any level starting at a two dollar tier where you get access to bloopers and we're gonna be doing video streams on patreon fun fact fun fact this episode is the first episode that we are recording even though we're a little sick yeah we just we want to get some content out there and we think video this is a great way uh actually if you guys want to if you want to see us and see us do these podcasts uh, this is how you yeah. can you can uh you can subscribe to us on Patreon and actually watch it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So cool Patreon only content and there's uh there's goodies involved too on higher tiers. That's I send true. you things in the mail. She um, does. Yeah. And then you can also support us and get cool merch over at the truth is somewhere dot threadless dot com, and you can find our show notes and all of the important and pertinent information. On the truth is somewhere.com. Also, yes. email us because I want to hear from you at the truth is somewhere podcast at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion, if you have questions, if you just want to say hey, whatever it is, whatever it is, hit me up on social media or in an email because I like that kind of stuff. I eat it up. Yeah. And, and let us know if you have the truth because we know it's somewhere. Keep uh... looking for it, guys. Keep <laughs> looking. Bye.